enjoying uh, the videos. Julie's idea of piecing together Christmas carols from kids in different houses. How do you do this? You can't have a kids' choir. You can't do kids' sing. All the things that we normally do. Yep, for those of you that are in middle school, you're free to go out and go find Stefan. I don't know what you guys are going to do, but it'll probably be not as much fun as what we're going to do. <laughs> it's right around at the side door. Okay, so this is the second Sunday of Advent, and today it's on peace. And um, how many of you struggle to find peace right now in this time? Only two of you. Oh, three of you. Okay, let me ask a question. How many of you struggle to find peace during all this? How many of you feel some peace? How many of you feel peace all the time? Oh, they all hand went down. Oh, no, one stayed up. Okay, good. Good. We have one godly soul in the midst. (laughs) Peace is a very fascinating thing. We often define it in the language of uh, absence of conflict. That's not actually what peace is. Okay. Peace is a whole lot more organic than that. It's a whole lot more real than that. It's, it's, a, it's, a much, it's an internal, internal quality. So let's start with defining it, and then we'll begin to talk about it. Because we'll define it several times. I define peace as internal rest. That's what God designed us for. Galatians 5, fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. Say it together. Love, joy, peace. So true peace, a peace that God envisions, comes from the Holy Spirit, and it should characterize who we are. I'm going to read a passage to you out of Ephesians chapter 2, written by Paul, I believe. Um, He's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles, and uh, at this time in world history, the Jews and Gentiles were very divided, and were actually hostile toward each other in many places, at least theologically. So here's what Paul says in Ephesians 2, verse 14. In fact, I want to go back to verse 13. Now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, that's the Gentiles, that's us, who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. For Christ is our peace. Do you get that? Christ is our peace then why don't we enjoy it? Hmm. So he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. You see, the law was the, the, the barrier that divided the two groups. And the early church had to wrestle with this. At the Jerusalem Council, for example, in Acts 15, we have the apostles there reasoning through, do we ask the Gentiles to comply with the Jewish law? So they took the 613 commands and rattled them down to basically four. Said no. And the reason is we don't want to make it too difficult for them to enter into the kingdom. And so they were beginning to reconcile that the law itself was being fulfilled, had been fulfilled in Christ, and something new called the New Covenant had come. And uh, the actual code, the actual rituals of the law, the commands of the law, were no longer in force. Um, In January, we're going to take a look at finding Jesus in Leviticus so that you can see that he fulfilled that, but he introduced something entirely brand new under the New Covenant to replace all those laws. And if you understand those laws in the context of the culture of the time, you can see how God is redemptive, and then it becomes very natural to see how Jesus fulfilled it and how it works itself out in our lives today. 
But the commands themselves, they said, no, these, these are too burdensome. And so that's what Paul is saying here. He removed this law, which was the barrier. He goes on. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So once again, what, what actually is peace? At one level, we have peace. We talked about this. We've talked about it many different times. We, uh, we have hope. We have love. All those things. And yet at another level, we have to really are challenged. We're challenged to experience them in real ways. John 14, Jesus said something. It's at the end of his uh, time on the earth, his last night before he's crucified. And he gives us a lot of insight into how all of these things work. He says, whoever has my commands and keeps them. It's an important part. Whoever has my commands and keeps them, this is the one who loves me. Okay, pause. One of the things I've said over the years up here is that that sin, the most hideous thing about sin is not condemnation and judgment. uh, Jesus said in Luke, do not judge, do not condemn. That's not it. The most hideous thing about sin is that it hides you from the truth. You don't know what you don't know. So if you are in a bad marriage, you don't know what a good one is. You may escape out of the bad marriage to get to one that's better, but that doesn't mean it's good. Because sin's whole whole approach is to make you think that you've arrived. It offers immediate pleasure and it delivers. It delivers. But as the Bible says, it's sweet to the mouth, sour in the stomach. And sin shields us from the truth. It shields us from what could be. It shields us from the reality of what life could be like in the spirit under the new covenant. So for those of you that have had bad marriages, several of you have said to, just come alongside Nancy or some of the other marriages here and just watch. Get up close and personal and see what a good marriage looks like. Oh yeah, we fight. You can see it. But boy, is it, is it rich. And so sin deceives you. It hides you from what could be. That's the true nature of sin. But it also convinces you that you've figured that out. It convinces you you've figured it out. And you haven't. So back to John 14. <clears throat> Jesus said, whoever has my commands and keeps them, this is the one who loves me. And I will love him and my father will love him. And here's that magical phrase, and I will disclose myself to him. You see, that's the other hideous part about sin, is it stops the movement to Christ. We, all of us, if you're a believer in Jesus, your natural affinity is to move toward Christ. Once you have the Spirit, everything, everything that God is at, uh, at work in you is pushing you toward Christ. So if you're not moving toward Christ, that means there's something in the way. We call that sin. So several of you have had conversations with over the years. I had one guy, and I've, I think I've shared this story. We were, it's several years ago now. He just said, you know, I listen to your passion for the Lord, and it's wonderful. It's very attractive, but I don't know how to get there. I don't have that same, 
attraction. So, okay, well, let's, let's talk about what's going on in your life. There's no you know, right or wrong answer. Just tell me the truth. Are you, are you sleeping with anybody that you shouldn't be? No? Okay. Are you doing something that if your spouse walked in and caught you, it would be embarrassment? No? Okay. Are you uh, drinking too much? No. Are you doing drugs that your doctor wouldn't agree with? No. Are you greedy? And, uh, and they said, well, how would I know if I'm greedy? Okay, that's a great question. Inside my mind, I go, ding, 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 just found it. Okay, once you, you just got on the list of sin and whatever it is that's captured your heart in the way of sin, that's blocking that path to the Lord. And I said, well, when, you know, God, I think, has blessed you probably pretty richly. When you look at your stuff, do you think this is mine and I have to protect it and grow it and all of this? Or do you think, wow, this is awesome. Look at all God has given me so I can give it away to others. He goes, definitely not that. Definitely the first. So I said, okay, here's a couple of verses on greed and wealth and how they function. Go home, read about it, talk to your spouse, pray together, and see what happens. So a month later we met. I won't ever forget it. This is one of those times in pastoral ministry that stands out. We're in a public coffee shop. He walks in, sits down, he goes, I'm greedy. In front of everybody. <laughs> said, praise Jesus. <laughs> now we know. <laughs> so this person began to practice the art of giving, begin to practice generosity. And you could see the joy begin to grow. You can see the joy begin to grow. You see all of these things, love, joy, peace, patience, blah, blah, they're all organic. They're all, we are all wired for them, but they don't come free. Here's how it really works. Okay, so Jesus said, whoever obeys, has my commands and keeps them, in other words, obeys me, I will disclose myself to them. You want to draw closer to the Lord? Then start obeying whatever's in your way. So let's take forgiveness. I've used this as an example. Several of you will remember it. You've been around people who are not very forgiving. Every one of you, right? It's a good time to shake your head. Yes or no? Okay, good. What is that person like? A person that's not very forgiving. How would you describe them? It's okay to talk. What? Bitter? Okay. What else? What's that? Okay, self-absorbed. All right. Yeah, yeah, stubborn. Are they, are they judgmental, typically? Okay, and, and what's our first thought? Whew, I don't want to be like that. Okay, well, how do you get to be not like that? Here's what it looks like. You start to forgive people, not because they have apologized. Not because they've repented. Most of the time, they're not going to. Not because they even change their behavior, because they usually don't. You forgive them, Ephesians 5, because God has already forgiven you in Christ. You see, every other human's made in the image of God, so they share the same dignity that you share. So you forgive someone else, even though they have not changed their mind about you. This is one of the hardest things to do in life. Do you know that? Oh, it's easy to forgive people when they apologize. But true forgiveness is you forgive them even when they haven't. You think of Jesus, think of Stephen, both of them when they died, and one of the last things they said is, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Stephen's last words as he's being pelted with these big rocks, crushing his skull, killing him, Father, forgive them. 
And so when you start to forgive people, and it is really, really, really hard to do, here's what happens. There comes a moment in time where you cross a threshold because of the Spirit, where your gaze shifts to heaven and you say, is that what it was like to forgive me? And the answer is yes. Yes. We like to think that we're not that bad. It was just that hard to forgive you by the Lord. And that's when you begin to experience the truth about forgiveness. And that's when the Lord discloses himself to you. Now you get it. I think he just sits there with a twinkle in his eye and says, you finally get it. Good. That's what I did for you. Every one of these these qualities that define Christianity fit into that category. Peace is no different. Peace is the same. Whoever has my commands and keeps them, this is the one who loves me. John 14, 21. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will disclose, reveal myself to him. You see, that's the secret to the Christian life. That's the secret. We talked last week about hope, and we've talked about faith, that in the Jewish context, true faith is not really faith until it's lived out. And that's what Jesus is saying. It doesn't matter what you think. It's far more important how you live life. So the way you live life is very critical, not only for your own enjoyment and mental health, but because that's the primary way that God reveals his glory to the broken world around us. So you think you challenge, you're challenged to experience peace. Think about what your neighbors are experiencing right now. This world is held in the grip of fear and terror. <clears throat> I don't think there's been any other time in my personal history where fear has been so prominent and therefore where we have a role to play because we are a religion of joy we are a religion of hope we are a religion of peace all the things we're going to be talking about this Advent season that should define us so what does it look like? I'm going to read to you three short verses out of Luke to give you a picture of it one is the first one is with Zechariah Zechariah was the father of John the Baptist. So in Luke chapter 1, he is uh, in the temple at the altar of incense. They had to keep the incense burning 24 hours a day. And so a priest was assigned that responsibility. So he walks into the temple all by himself. Okay, He's probably done this hundreds and hundreds of times in his life. I don't know. At least dozens and dozens. And all of a sudden an angel appears. <laughs> what would you do? Yeah, you'd be freaked out too. Okay, so in, uh, in John, uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 12, uh, in fact, verse 8, once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot. Okay, now in scriptures, that doesn't mean by chance. That means that, the God, that God has had made that decision. Okay, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So he goes inside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah saw him. He was startled and he was gripped with fear. He's terrified. His peace is gone. 
that fast. You ever notice how fast peace can disappear? Whenever something happens that you didn't want to have happen? Stock market crashed. We're not worth quite as much. You name it. Whatever it is, you walk in one day and you find out you don't have a job anymore. Yeah, peace disappears, doesn't it? Well, here's the case over right here. Okay, the second one is in Luke chapter 1. And this one is with Mary. Um, Mary is approached by the angel, verse 29. Mary, and the angel said to her, verse 28, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. If the Lord greets you that way, run. Okay? And that's what she did. She didn't quite run, but she was greatly troubled at his words. And she's like, oh, no, what does this mean? Okay, we, she's wondering what kind of greeting this might be. So she's very troubled. She's really nervous about this. This is not making her peaceful at all, which, by the way, happens when you enter into the Lord's presence sometimes. Okay? The third one is the shepherds in Luke chapter 2. Okay, they're out in the fields. They're at nighttime. No light pollution. It's just them and the stars and a bunch of sheep. So they're probably maybe sitting around a fire. Who knows? Maybe talking to one another. Maybe just... Whittling away on a piece of wood, just letting the sheep make sure the sheep are safe. And here's what happened. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Terrified. Peace. It's gone that fast. Because remember how we're defining peace? That internal rest. Internal rest. And so let's go back and look at all three and look what happens. With, uh, with Zechariah, all the way over toward the end of chapter 1, in the verse 60, uh, I'll say verse 59, on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, uh, the child had been born. They were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke to him and said, no, he's got to be named John. And they're all going, John, there's none of your relatives by that name. Why on earth would you call him John? So then he, they made signs to his father to find out what he wanted to name him. So he asked for a writing tablet. And everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Boy, talk about a break with tradition. You just didn't do that. Immediately, his mouth was open, his tongue was set free, and he began to speak, praising God. That peace was restored. He began to praise the Lord. What about Mary? So after Mary is told everything, now remember, she had to wait for her husband to be told. So there's a little bit of insecurity there anyway. But here's what she started to sing in verse 46. Once the angel said to her, uh, the angel said to her, you have found favor with God. Do not be afraid. That's what he actually said to Zechariah. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Okay? Perfect love casts out fear. The opposite of peace is fear. If you're struggling with fear, you're too far away from the Lord. That's what that means. Because the angel in each case drew them back in. Do not be afraid. Here's what Mary sang. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. That's why Paul can say, whatever is right, true, honorable, 
Think about these things. You want to be happy? Think about good things. That's why I can say rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. That's why he could say, um, give thanks in everything for this is God's will for you. And that's what these people are doing. Okay? The shepherds, just to complete the triad, the shepherds, the angel of the Lord says to them, they were terrified, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. There it is the third time. Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news that will cause all great joy for all the people. So he tells them what happened. The Savior's been born. They go to see the Savior. Okay. Then down in verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying God and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. What's, what's the secret behind all three of these? Two things. They move back toward the Lord, and they move back toward people. Okay. Community of faith plays a big role in what happens. It's interesting in the last Supreme Court decision, in the, in the uh, justice's opinion, they wrote in there that church is necessary. It's vital. And so what age are we living in? We're living in an age when everybody's separated. We need people. That's the truth. We need people. Zoom is not enough. It's just not enough. Now, I'm not trying to talk you into overthrowing the public health order and all that. What I'm saying is we need to navigate this very, very carefully. Because uh, as of uh, when we first started, we thought this would just be a couple of weeks. till we, whatever the curve is, flatten the curve. And then it became apparent to a bunch of our leaders that that's not enough. And so we're, we're, we're on a roller coaster, aren't we? Up and down through a wild mess. We really are. And... Um, and through the middle of it, if we're not careful, what's being overlooked is this quality that being separated drives the fear far deeper because it separates us from each other. I just read last week that the suicide rate in Japan last month surpassed the rate of death by COVID. Okay, that tells us something. Um, we need each other. I just read the UN Secretary General just uh, gave a speech. I have a copy of it. And he said that uh, because of our response to COVID, we've added 130 million people that are on the now on the road to death for starvation in the world. 130 million people. That tells us something. The Bible is telling us the truth. Now, the answer, again, I'm not saying we need to overturn it. I'm saying we need to be very careful and begin to rethink the relational structure of the church to figure out how in this precarious time we still connect. So I'd encourage you to do a couple things. One is, if you haven't been tested, go get tested. I just went in this week. I tested negative. Now that I know that the test is not, as the guys said, give me the test, we're not going to scrape your brain. <laughs> I'm going to get tested every week because I talk to 20 to 40 people at least every week. And that gives me assurance and gives you assurance because I don't want you to be infected. So I just drove over through the drive through at the Silverthorne Rec Center. And the guy said, have you been tested before? And I go, yep, four months ago when I had surgery. He goes, oh, we're well, going to love this one because we're not going to scrape your brain. It was easy. Just tickled my nose a little bit. I got the results. I'm negative. I'm going to get tested every week for several reasons. One is I want to know the truth about how I'm doing because I'm with you all the time. And the other one is to continue to lower the st- statistics for the state, so let's let us out sooner. So I would encourage all of you, you haven't been tested, go get tested. The state's paying for it. It doesn't cost you anything. Just drive through, let's take a little thing right in your nose, it tickles, and you move on. That's all it takes, is five minutes. 
and I was very surprised. So I've talked to several of the, the um, some of the leaders in the county, restaurant owners, things like that, and they're all doing the same thing because we do want to lower the statistics, but we also want to protect each other. Okay, is that going to bring me peace? Nope. Nope. Same thing with the vaccine. I'm getting asked regularly now, what do you think of the vaccine? Praise Jesus, we have a vaccine coming out. We may be on the verge of watching one of the greatest miracles in the history of humanity to be able to produce, for science to produce a vaccine that is 94.6% effective. I mean, the flu shot's not even that effective. I get a flu shot every year because I'm an asthmatic. Last January and the January before that, I was in the emergency room. The guy come in, I was having trouble breathing, I mean, you know, and he stuck this swab up my nose and walked out, comes back in a little bit later, he's all dressed in all this funny gear. I was talking about freaky. And I said, uh, that doesn't look good. And he goes, yeah, buddy, you got the flu, influenza. And I said, but I had a flu shot. And he goes, yep, you were, you were, um, had a, uh, you were vaccinated against influenza A, you have influenza B. <laughs> okay, now I know. And so if it lowers the rate, why wouldn't I do it? Is my hope in a vaccine? No. Is a vaccine going to bring me peace? No. I just call it responsibility. I happen to hear one of my, one of my friends, he's another scholar, he's a, probably the world's most renowned Pentecostal scholar in New Testament. I've got eight of his commentaries, books in my office. Great guy, stood up before 2,000 people, and here's what he said. Got me thinking very differently. He said, you know, I spent the last five years going to third, fourth, and fifth world countries and looking at how God operates. And I have seen miracle after miracle after miracle. So have I. I travel every year, except for this year. (laughs) And watch God do incredible things. And then I come back home to America. Well, you don't see that here. Why not? And he said, the answer from my Pentecostal theology, my denomination, is that it's because you don't have enough faith. He said, but there's just one problem with that. There's 2,000 out there, and I know most of you, and you guys have all had great faith. You men and women have great faith. That can't be it. So I had to go back and readjust my theology and think differently after this five years of study. And he said, it finally dawned on me, what's the difference between in the third world country where you don't have access to medical care and God heals you of cancer? But in our first world country, you have cancer and God heals you through chemo who gave the wisdom to a doctor. What's the difference? And it dawned on me, that's what the scriptures are talking about. The same God is the God of all. That's why he brings rain on the saved and the lost. He wants to bless them all. And so perhaps he doesn't need to do that kind of miracle in our country because we have the best medical care. But in a third world country, he does. But he said, it's all our same God at work. Isn't that the heart of the gospel? We have a God who cares about us. We have a God who loves us and he's going to intervene any way he sees fit to reach us. Isn't that the good news? I love the word evangelizing, evangelism, evangelical. It's got a bad press, bad word in the press, but I don't care. I'm trying to use it anyway because it's a good biblical word. Euangelion. Okay? In the verb form, it means to share the good news. You know why I love it? Because it's one of those words that stands out in culture of the first century. Because they didn't steal that word, the first century church. Every Caesar had 
a good news, a gospel. We do too. We call it the State of the Union speech. Every January. When's the last time you had a president get up there and go, oh my gosh, our culture's going right off the cliff and we don't have a clue what to do about it. You ever had that happen? No. Everyone says the same thing. It doesn't matter which party they belong to. We got it all figured out. We got minor problems, but you don't have to worry. We got good news. Every Caesar said that. And so the first century Christians, they stole that term. Because the peace of Rome was very costly. Not to the rich and the senators and the elite, but to the average peasant living in the remote regions of the empire. I've read studies that say the average lifespan of a poor person in the Roman Empire was 28 years, and they died with disease very uncomfortably. And so along comes Christianity and says to those people, let me tell you the true good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have a God who cares for us. So I personally don't care if he heals me directly so I don't get COVID or heals me if I get COVID or gives me a vaccine. I'm taking the vaccine. That's my decision. As soon as I can. I hope it's real soon. I hear it could be as early as April for the rest of us. Yeah, I'm going to take it. And if that lowers this rate, then we have watched a miracle happen. So the question is not whether that vaccine is the answer or not. The question is, as I asked last week, where's your hope? Where is it? It is, in, is it in having the right president? Is it in having the right doctors? Is it in having the right organizations make the decision, or is it in the Lord? Where are you going to experience peace? Are you going to place your dependence on peace, on getting a vaccine? Or are you going to do what happened in Scripture and draw near to the Lord? You see, if you get the vaccine, it might give you peace for a moment. But if you're not near to the Lord, that peace is going to dissipate real fast. Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. That's where it comes from. So if you're struggling with peace, that means you're too far away from the Lord. That's what it means. Because perfect love casts out fear, John says. He also says that God is love. So therefore, God casts out fear. That's what that means. So if you're struggling with that peace internally, that rest, that means you're too far away. The answer is not the right vaccine or the right president. The answer is nearness to the Lord and nearness to the community of faith, your friends. That's really what the answer is. Don't be deceived. Don't be fooled. I hope the vaccine works incredible miracles around the world. I don't want to see 130 million people die of starvation, to be honest with you. And you know what? The Bible is written to address this very issue. James 5, if any of you are sick, let them call the elders and they'll come lay hands on you and pray. Well, you know what? That's anticipating this very scenario because in the first century, they didn't understand um, immunology, bacteria. They didn't understand all that. They didn't have antibiotics. When somebody got sick, they knew the hard way that if somebody got sick in the, in the town, boom, everybody's gone. 
So when you get sick, what do they do? They move your eyes out the village as fast as they can. And God says to the elders, go outside the village and lay your hands on them. Physical touch. You need me, I will be there. I'll do whatever they tell me. If they tell me I got to wear a mask, I'll wear a mask. If they tell me I have to dress up in that funny gear that they dress up in, I'll dress up in it. But I'll be there. Because that is a statement of two things. Solidarity, you're not alone. You're with people who care about you. And number two, incredible faith. I'm going to trust the Lord to protect me. That's what James 5 is all about. Both of those. Incredible faith and solidarity. We are together. You need help? I'll come. Oh, I'll do what they tell me to do. But my faith isn't in the mask. Oh, it works. My faith is in the Lord. And my peace when I get there is because I want to draw nearer to the Lord. So during this Advent season, I would encourage you, if, if you're struggling with fear, which is the opposite of peace, if you want that internal rest, that shalom, what God created you for, the relaxation, then back to John 14, you have to obey. And that means you have to draw near to the Lord, which is what he earnestly desires. So if you're not practicing any kind of Advent devotion, let me encourage you to do that. Every day. Nancy and I try to do it every day. Every day just get up and say, Lord, today I want to trust you. Help me to trust you today. To walk by faith. And help me to experience that peace that comes from your spirit. So I can relax and not have to worry about it. And you know what? Your neighbors will see it. It's a gift from the Lord. And all gifts from the Lord are meant to be enjoyed and shared. Everyone. There's no time in our history like now to show what it means not to be terrified. You don't have any reason to be. You don't have any reason to be terrified. That's peace. Father, thank you for sending your son to become our true peace. We're very grateful. We look around us and we know what terror and fear looks like. We see it. We experience it ourselves. We can smell it in others, Lord. Help us to be a church at rest. And Lord, I thank you personally for the vaccine. I'm just astounded at what our medical community has done. And I'm grateful because I know that they couldn't have done it without you. It's your wisdom that made it possible. So thank you for that. And I pray that it will work all around the world. I think of all my friends in the third world countries where I go teach, Lord, who don't have the same medical care I have. God, I hope you get it to them as fast as you can because they could use it too. Lord, we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. This concludes, for those of you watching online, thank you. Uh, Thanks for joining us. This concludes the live streaming portion of our service.